When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Soccer Show Weekend Review. There was no change at the top of the Premier League table as Man City and Arsenal kept things stable. Big Sam told us he was better than Pep and Arteta, but a Leeds in a position that's any better? David Ayer helped put West Ham in heaven and Frank Lampard avoided the title of 007. Real Madrid lifted the Copa del Rey. Bayern Munich kept a rampant Dortmund at bay. Celtic had a celebration day and the San Jose Earthquakes beat LA. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's a bit like Fulham, the Fulham team right now. He's on the beach, a beach he literally built himself at his home. Taylor Rockwell, your masonry and skills never cease to impress me. Tell the kids what you did. I, I built a beach, as you said, and I built a walkway to get there. And then everything in my body hurts now. And I <laughs> slightly worry forever will. Uh, I was slightly delayed this morning setting up uh, my recording space, but also because I took an ice bath this morning after my my wife took our daughter to to work uh, and to daycare because, yeah, everything is sore, everything hurts. But I'm here to talk soccer, and that's fun. Um, so what were we talking here? Repeated squats? What was the issue? Uh, it was... Carrying twenty tons of sand via one singular wheelbarrow, uh, a good, a good long little walk back and forth. Wow! Yeah, quite, quite a weekend project though. You should be very proud of yourself. Well done. Thank you. I am. It, it was genuinely. I know that sounds corny, but I posted a video on Instagram of my daughter discovering the beach and her just running back and forth and then stopping and staring with a smile on her face. That did make it all all worthwhile. Mostly worthwhile. The the wrist pain. Slightly less worthwhile, but everything else good. Everything else good. <laughs> Wonderful to hear. Joining us, Taylor, a man who has a firmer grip on this weekend's soccer news than David De Gea had on a side Ben Rama shot Graham Rutherford. I almost messed up that name, but hello. <laughs> hello, Ryan Bailey. That is a low bar that you're setting for me because that David De Gea mistake, I still, I'm still trying to work it out what actually happened. His hands just went invisible all of a sudden because yeah. he made the dive and he was there. And somehow the ball ends up in the back of the net. I think it's he's made a few howlers over the years. That might be his worst so far. <laughs> yeah, Grim, what happened is that David De Gea isn't very good at stopping shots anymore. Ooh, that's that's no, kind of what happened right. in that moment. Oh, that's that's yeah. a problem for him because that's like his whole thing as a it goalkeeper a and one who yeah, doesn't play problem. out from the back either. Yeah. So, yeah. That's Identity the fundamentals, crisis. really. That's the fundamentals of goalkeeping there. Maybe it's a, a FIFA glitch of some sort. Well, when Ben Rama's let that shot off, though, he, he in his head he's going, oh, for goodness sake. Well, the, the funny thing is, if, if you listen very carefully, you can hear the West Ham fans inside the London Stadium go, oh, you know that way where there's a missed opportunity or a, or a poor shot, and then all of a sudden it's trundling past David De Gea over the line into the net, and that was the difference between my United and my United, uh, West Ham and my United in that game. It was very costly for David De Gea and Eric was, Ten Hag. 
That was the type of goal that if you concede on FIFA, you might like rage quit because it's just mm. like, oh, failed tackle, failed tackle, failed tackle, shot from 30 yards out that inexplicably goes past the goalkeeper. I hate this game. There's so many glitches. It's so unfair. Oh, this is real life? Yeah, David De Gea is maybe not having the best season, I got to say. Indeed. More on that game later. But completing our pack, we've got a man who's convinced that Big Sam has definitely fixed leads. Everything's going to be great in Yorkshire. Joe Lowry, is that right? That's a word for word uh, repeating of what I sent in the Slack on Saturday. Absolutely. That's true. I was afraid that this was going to be the announcement that I had been let go by the Total Soccer Show organization for lack of results. I I was afraid that I also was at the bottom of the Eastern Conference in the standing. So I'm grateful that that's not what my intro was. And instead, it was a big Sam defender, even though it's not really true. It's still better than the alternative. So thank you, Ryan. Oh, you're welcome. I wonder who the podcast Big Sam is, if that situation were to happen, Joe. I don't don't know. I don't want to speculate. (laughs) Yeah, let's probably not name any names. Uh, Anyway, uh, a huge, huge weekend in the UK, a three-day weekend, in fact. You'll have noticed, everybody, there were big street parties in virtually every city. Uh, A really, really big celebration in London. Big global news event happened. You probably saw it broadcast on TV. One of those British crowning moments we'll all remember for the rest of our days. Of course, I'm talking about the celebrations of MK Dons being relegated Ah, from League One this weekend. Just one season, Graham, after they finished third in League One, one point off of automatic promotion to the championship. Just 20 years after they stole a place in the league by murdering another team. Very, very sad, Graham, for the soulless ghouls who make up their fan base. But a genuinely good moment (laughs) for those who care about the game and for the country. That's no way to talk about a relative, Ryan Bailey. Uh, this is the happiest I've ever seen you. Did you? Did you? Were you growing that beard? So for, I appreciate this is a an audio uh, medium, and listeners cannot see the fact that today Ryan Bailey is clean shaven. Mm. Were you growing that beard until the day that MK Dons got relegated? Like the kind of opposite of a playoff beard. Is that what the explanation is? Yeah, in a scenario where AFC Wimbledon stayed up and uh, MK Dons got relegated, all the hair on my face fell out. It was so, there was so much joy at the joint occasion there. Uh, MK Don's drawing with Burton Albion, Cambridge United surviving in their place. So uh, another podcast, Max Rushton will be very happy with that. It was it was a good weekend for for me personally. They went down. Charlotte FC won a game. FC Wimbledon yeah. didn't actually play this weekend, so they couldn't ruin it for me. Although they did actually lose today, as we record. But Taylor, what we have next year for um, TSS's favourite team, FC Wimbledon, is both Wrexham and MK Don's as opponents in League to next year mm. you excited for this 50 percent of that i'm excited for How, well which spit. which uh, genuinely which one is going to annoy you more when they beat you the ones whose um whose presence i do not require in my stadium that one the one who See, i would like not like to acknowledge exists that one i feel like the open the open hatred of of that one uh, is so strong that like maybe somehow Wrexham might sleep, like sneak in because for there to be hatred, there has to also be love, Ryan. So maybe with Wrexham, the neutrality will bother you. Will that be quite a nasty game? Like ge- genuinely, the MK Dons Wimbledon match next season? Are they are they quite like? Is there violence? Is there casuals? Like what what do, what what are they like? If I were to go as a fan, um, I, I've never been to one, so I've always refused to go. My my brother and all my family don't actually go. If they oh, come that's to, interesting. We wouldn't we wouldn't go um, out of principle because we don't want to acknowledge their existence, and we would never go to the away game either. But I, I understand they can be a little bit tasty, not Millwall tasty. Uh, by any measure but yeah like there was some controversy the last one of the last times we played them didn't put their name on the scoreboard because we didn't want to put dons on the scoreboard uh, nice uh, and we got fined for it and i think what someone... well, did you put them 
or <laughs> the other team. It just I think it just said MK. Um, it's, it's a bit they, like there being a, a rivalry between like a car thief and the person whose car has been stolen. <laughs> of like one yeah. side is very very angry about it, and the other one is just like, oh, did you want this? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, we moved well, it. I guess you can have it back if you want. It's it's unique in soccer rivalries, Taylor, because on mo- most soccer rivalries like Spurs, Arsenal, this is mutual hatred one yeah. way. Whereas for them. Every other team in the world hates them and acknowledges that they shouldn't exist. So um, it's a tough one for their fans. I had air quotes I, around that. I word. did see a video on social media over the weekend of uh, Ryan. If you, what's the owner's name? If you can bring yourself to say it, I forget his name. Uh, the Winkleman. Winkleman. Yeah, he him getting Winkleman? shouted at by MK Don's fans after they were relegating one fan saying we we were sold Premiership football, which. Uh, that hasn't happened for MK Dons, and now they'll be back in League Two. That's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> so sad to see. Anyway, let's not talk about them anymore. It's been a good weekend, and Patreon has been good, Graham. Thanks. No thanks. Uh, in fact, very much in thanks to you with a nice... <laughs> no thanks to me. So <laughs> no thanks to you, Graham. <laughs> Sucking it up on the Patreon. The opposite of that, because you put a lovely video up of your Scottish adventure. I've got to say, the street you parked your car on, man. It was, uh... Yeah. What is this? Is this because it's somewhere north of Watford? That yeah. The, right. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Not where. Where should I have parked? Did I need to pay fifty dollars to park somewhere like you have previously at MLS games? Driven over Hadrian's Wall, somewhere into England. Right. There. Okay. Sure. I mean, it was around the corner from the stadium, <laughs> so that's enough for me, Ryan Bailey. Anyway, a good, uh, good video there. Patreon.com/slash Total Soccer Show for bonus episodes, videos, and much, much more. Shall we get to the soccer?s Why don't we do that? Where would we like to start? How about uh, in a the most geographically close Premier League team to Graham Rutherford, Newcastle nil, Arsenal two. Martin Odegaard and a Shah Fabian Shah own goal in this one. Uh, Joe, this is a very, very good response to the pressure from Arsenal, I'd say. St. James's Park, not an easy place to win. I think this is only the second home loss of the season for Newcastle. So, well done. Yeah, this was a huge game for Arsenal. And in general, it's been a good response since getting slapped by Man City a couple of weeks ago now. Like, they go out there and beat Chelsea 3-1. Chelsea in, in chaos, in turmoil, but very much still have the individual players to to beat you and to show something in individual moments. And then you come in away from home against Newcastle. I was pretty impressed with how this Arsenal team approached the game. So they get a goal fairly early on. It's a Martin Odegaard goal from outside the box. It's on the floor. It's towards the bottom corner. Not like the the best hit shot of all time, but it is a a really nice strike from Odegaard. That puts them up 1-0. And really from that point on, it seemed to me that Arsenal were pretty pragmatic in this game. They weren't just bunkering deep in their own half, but they had relatively good control of the game and Newcastle tried to throw numbers forward and they went fairly aggressive Eddie Howe you know with with the lineup in this game but in general Arsenal bent and they did concede some chances right like they had moments Newcastle to to really threaten in this match but like it wasn't incredibly lopsided even when it felt like Arsenal were bending and Zinchenko did some of that at from his left back spot defensively where it looked like maybe he was going to be the weak link that eventually broke the chain it just didn't happen, right? They would they would suffer a little bit, and then they would go and, and go forward and, and break yeah. and, and do something in the attack. Dan Byrne for Newcastle talked about how frustrating it was to play against this Arsenal team. How you know they did have some control. I'm paraphrasing, but like you know they had some control. They made it difficult for Newcastle, and it was a pretty miserable game for Newcastle in a lot of ways. In general, I think Arsenal deserve real credit for their performance and the result in this match. 
Agreed. I, I found this match extremely entertaining, largely because of the poop-housery of both teams on display. There were, there were a good number of times when it felt like it was all going to boil over. I was certain we were getting a Granite Xhaka red card, because that's usually <laughs> how these things end. But um, Arsenal were the better team on the whole, although, although uh, Newcastle started both halves at like 100 miles an hour, and Arsenal rode their luck a couple times, particularly with Newcastle hitting the post. But... Last season, Arsenal, and I can't remember who it was that that did an interview after the game, and they said they spoke about this on the way to the game. Maybe it was Aaron Ramsdale. Um, But Arsenal last season, they lost 2-0 to Newcastle United at St. James's Park. And in that game, they kind of shied away from the scrap. And that defeat ultimately cost them their place in the top four. And you could see in this performance how they have grown as a unit since then. I agree with Joe. I thought they managed the game very well and that obviously hasn't been something they have succeeded in very often recently and I think having Jorginho in in the middle to maintain control of the ball helped a lot and then also the change that Arteta made in the second half with um, my favourite Kieran Tierney coming on for Zinchenko I think that was also a factor as well because Zinchenko he's really struggled in one-on-one situations recently and he was having a very tough time of it against Jacob Murphy but then Tierney came on and that channel closed up and, and Tierney also won possession in the build-up to the second goal. So I do wonder if Arteta regrets barely using those two players in those matches against Liverpool and, and West Ham in particular because on this basis they could have made a difference. But Arsenal still within touching distance of, of Man City. Obviously City have Champions League semi-final games to, to come. They're still in there, Arsenal. I, I still fancy City to, to get the job done, but they are, they've responded well, Arsenal, after going four games without a win. What do you think, Taylor, about the title race? Obviously, uh, Man City in the catbird seat, as we like to say around here. But they you have love a tri- that. Oh, you I really do. do. I, it's so fun. <laughs> it makes me think of Tom and Jerry for some reason. Maybe because it's a cat and a bird. That's probably yeah, why. That's um, why. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, Taylor, uh, Man City have a trip to the Burner Bay, of course, this week. They've got other things potentially on their mind. Another cup they're in as well, of course. Do you still see this as weighted towards Man City? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I mean, I could see a scenario in which they don't drop any more points in the Premier League. I think we talked about that a few months ago, about how it's going to be difficult to see them lose much, and they really haven't since then. Uh, they've got, what, Real Madrid away, uh, Real Madrid at home, and then Everton away, Chelsea at home, Brighton away. So they could drop points in there somewhere. I think the Madrid games are obviously going to be tricky. I still think City will be fine in those two. Maybe we see Chelsea find a way to get a point. Maybe it's Brighton on the final day, but I still think City will have enough to uh, to hoist the trophy at the end. All righty. Why don't we talk about City then? A uh, 2-1 win over Leeds this weekend. They went four points clear provisionally on Saturday, down to a point, of course, after Arsenal's game. Tenth straight win, Joe, this was for Manchester City. A good one brace here. Uh, but uh, Erling Haaland getting a telling off for not taking the penalty late on when the game was still at risk. Yeah, Pep had some comments about that after after the match. Erling Holland is a, a selfless guy, apparently. Uh, Man City not exactly selfless with the ball in this game because they dominated possession. Like, they had some crazy numbers in this game. I don't think there was ever a moment where Leeds United looked threatening to actually get a result in this game. The goal they score is a nice goal. It comes late on in the match, though, and that makes it 2-1. That wasn't like an equalizer. It wasn't a leveler. It wasn't a go-ahead goal. It, it sort of clawed them halfway back. But, I mean, after that goal, it felt to me like City just controlled the rest of the match and, and saw the game out, even with Pep making a number of changes in this match ahead of the Champions League. Seven changes, I believe, ahead of that game against Real Madrid. Big Sam made some changes as well. I think the biggest change was in goal, where Melier, who's been the starter for them almost yeah. all season, 
is out and Joel Robles comes in for the first time all season. <laughs> That's like the the biggest thing. There were some other changes out outfield, but like that was the biggest one. I think it was a good idea because Melia has been pretty bad this year. He's allowed almost a third of a goal more than expected and has not been a, a really reliable presence in the back for Leeds United. But it wasn't enough, right? And it was never going to be enough. You can look at the tactics, and, and I saw a lot of like this four-five-one low block where Mark Roca would drop into the back line or sort of do a bit of man marking. They were trying to compress space. City are just too good. Like, they're too good for for Arsenal. They're, of course, going to be too good for Leeds United. Big Sam's job did not get any easier after this weekend's result. I I loved Big Sam. Sorry, Taylor, I was just going to jump in and say I loved Big Sam dropping Melia. It's just classic Big Sam move. Can't be having any of that foreign playing out from the back nonsense. So uh, Joe Robles comes in, and as you say, Joe doesn't really do much to stop City just flattening Leeds in this game. Do we think Junior Firpo starts the next game? Because he, he seemed to be... I, I don't know if this is maybe just the flaw of the system, but Joe, to your point, I saw them in that like 5-4-1, 4-5-1, and I saw Junior Firpo very narrow, very tight to the other center backs, or to the center backs, but then when the ball would go wide, he would be the one who had to cl- go close down, which isn't necessarily a problem, except that every single time he over-pursued and got beat, and I believe both goals come from the ball going wide and then coming back in and him yeah. being slow to react to it. I don't think that helped Leeds very much. I do feel like there were some individual performers that did not raise their game. And in that way, if we see the lineup changed again and they look more productive in that next game, then I guess it is Big Sam figuring some things out. The question, of course, remains, is four games remaining enough to figure things out? Now three games remaining. I feel like it's it's a tall order. It's a tall order for him. Yeah. I mean, of those six points he was targeting from those four games, Taylor, surely zero of those points were from this game, you'd imagine. (laughs) Newcastle at home, then a trip to West Ham, which might be easier Mm -hmm. given West Ham got a very uh, well-needed three points uh, on Sunday as well. And And Leeds United uh, finishing up with Spurs. Who knows what way that could go. But I feel like they could get six points here. And if you look at it objectively... Big Sam has finished the weekend where he started it in the same position. So <laughs> just has. above goal difference in the relegation it. zone. So it's all, it's, you know, the, the playing field is still level if you're looking Ryan, at it. Like Ryan, uh, sorry, sorry, Ryan, did you just talk yourself into Leeds getting six points? Is that I don't know that that's where you thought you were going when you started, but that is where you yeah. ended. Is that really how you feel? I could, I, if they're going to get six points, I see it in the final two games potentially. All right. Well, West that's a significantly colder take than what I thought you just dropped. So, yeah. All right, oh, fair enough. We had the hottest of hot takes in this game, by the way. Uh, it, it, it's the old Ryan Bailey, Joe Lowry favorite of. Weston McKinney takes a long throw in the first 20 minutes, and there was some consternation amongst the announcers as to whether or not he could actually throw it long, so I appreciated it was like a golf uh, sequence where they were like, let's see if he can do it. And then there was silence as he threw it a very long distance, and Patrick Bamford headed it over. They were very impressed by the throw, and then watching the header on replay, the header that went 10 yards over and 5 yards wide, (laughs) what did the announcer say? Joe, it's your old favorite. He's almost hit it too well there, yeah, which yeah, was yeah, yeah. an amazing line to say about a ball that was nowhere near that goal at all. But <laughs> at least we know Weston McKinney can have that long throw. Well, talk of uh, not hitting it very well. Well, we weren't talking about that, but I am now. Erling Haaland too actually well. had a swing at the, at the ball and completely whiffed it, which is something you don't often see from Erling Haaland, proving he was human, I guess, in some way here. Or they've or just maybe, programmed the machine was, to look human. One 100%. Or the other. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> that, is a, that is an intentional action. One wire was crossed on purpose yeah. Yeah. to throw oh, us God. off the scent. Ryan, and you were a sucker and you fell for it. The AI is learning. <laughs> the AI is learning. Goodness me. Um, I, I thought it may be just because he, he, he couldn't bear to score again 
against his hometown club. Of course, born and raised in Leeds. We all know Erling Haaland is English after all. Um, a good quote I saw from Jack Grealish on Erling Haaland. He's the best professional I've seen. He recovers in the gym. 10 hours of treatment a day. Don't know where he squeezes that in. Ice bath, diet. I swear I couldn't be like that. After a game, he says, hey, don't go out partying. I just tell him to shut up and go and sit in his ice bath. <laughs> Jack Grealish, everybody. I think I think Graham. I love Jack Grealish more with every passing day. Like I think his, he, you can say what um, what you like about his IQ, but his emotional intelligence mm. and his humour is oh, fantastic. Wow. He's a great interview. He he's always very honest and much more transparent than most Premier League footballers, and and he is relatable in a way. But then I read that he's the new face of Gucci and. I can't relate to that. Mm. So is, he's kind of a split personality in that regard. What's the likelihood that Jamie Tart is based on, on him? Uh, I was just about to say, Jamie Tart this season has Jack Grealish hair in yep. Ted Lasso. So I, I don't think that's so an I read, accident. I read that he's inspired by Jack Grealish in the latest uh, seasons, but it was Cristiano Ronaldo in the initial season or two. But you can definitely see some inspiration there in the way that he is in that show. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Man that City. center part, man. That center part is is a look. I had that in the, uh, I'm going to say, late 90s. Did you not? Bring it back. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I'm all about change on my hair at the moment with beards being shaved off and whatnot. It's a revolution, people. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, a little bit more Premier League. We're going to go to Real Madrid winning another trophy and much more. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. 
That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's go to the south coast of the England where Bournemouth scored one goal, Chelsea scored three. Frank Woo. Lampard won a game. Sound the siren, everybody. Whoop, whoop, you got whoop. a bully B.O. Yeah, indeed. Um, so the 007 record denied. Uh, Frank Lampard remains 006. Not quite the full secret agent we hoped. Uh, so what was late? Two Sh- late goals. Sean Bean of James Bond uh, characters. Yes. <laughs> exactly so. Exactly so. Uh, the, the, the Timothy Dalton. No, he actually Sh- was a Bond. That's not Sean good Bean was 006, man. Alex was he really? Goldeneye. There you go. Wow. Yeah, someone didn't play enough N64 Goldeneye to, to know uh, the ins and outs of Alex Trevelyan and the character. I was going to say good movie knowledge, but then I realized it was probably good Nintendo knowledge. Exactly. So uh, I'll, I'll move on from there. Graham, what did we make of this one? Chelsea, the headline here, officially safe from relegation. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> that doesn't say a lot about their season uh, as a whole. And I actually thought Bournemouth did pretty well in this game. They'll feel hard done by because there were periods when it seemed like they were the, the better team Kepa had to be sharp to to pull out a few uh, saves and Bournemouth were a bit wasteful in front of goal. But a lot of their play through the midfield and into the attack was really, really slick. Lots of one-touch play I had. Because of my personal bias, I had an eye on Ryan Christie, Scotland International, see how he was playing. I thought he played really well. And Bournemouth as a whole in the final third played really well until it was time for them to put the ball in the back of the net. So I guess for Chelsea... The script was flipped a little bit. It was a good game to watch, um, but Bournemouth's defending let them down for the Barrier Shield goal. And then Sterling for the the third Chelsea goal, he turns on the afterburners and and, um, sets it up for Yao Felix, who finishes very nicely. We haven't really seen much of that from Raheem Sterling this season since he's gone to Chelsea, so I'd like to see more of that next season. I thought Madueke was very good for Chelsea as well, um, and largely because Chelsea have been so stale in the attacking third in, in recent times. But he was very quick to take on Vigna and he did it time and time again. And there were certainly times when he could have made a better decision in front of goal. But you can see his talent and you can see the player that he could become for Chelsea and why they have signed him to give him give them something a little bit different in the final third. And it's the one thing that Lampard has got as a manager. He does seem to do reasonably well with Young players going back to his first time and his first spell in charge of Chelsea that first season. He brought through players like Mason Mount and uh, Chalaba and a couple others as well. Billy Gilmore, I think, as well. So I would I, I would lean into that between now and the end of the season. Chelsea don't have anything to play for, quite literally, over the last three games of the season. So I would bring in some some of the kids, some of those young players that Chelsea signed over the last two windows, Madueke being one of them. And I think that's the only way that he can give Chelsea something to work with out of this interim period. What if uh, Lampard introduced some of the players who haven't been involved in the squad, like unused subs? I'm thinking Christian Pulisic, for example. Unused once again, Graham. I think he's just been forgotten about, to be honest. Was he even at, the, at, at Bournemouth for this game? Did he even make the, 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 the journey? I did read that Chelsea now have two dressing rooms at Stamford Bridge because they signed so many players that players were having to change in the uh, in the corridor at the stadium. So maybe there's like a first choice dressing room and a second choice dressing room and Pulisic is in that second choice dressing room just like 
I don't know, what the footballers do in their spare time. Like, two Scottish players are good for the first time in 150 years, and Graham's suddenly getting very loose throwing USMNT players <laughs> under the bus there. Yeah, not my favorite uh, season for Christian Pulisic, and, and he has had several down seasons, but it's been it's been a rough one for him. It's been a rough one for Dest. It's kind of been a rough one for Gio Reyna, uh, even though Gio Reyna more involved with Dortmund. Uh, I'm thinking we just need a, a, like a cast-off club where USMNT players can go and rehabilitate yeah. it and get back into the good graces. That'll be the third Chelsea dressing room is what it's going to ah, be. Because Todd's going to buy them all. What, I, what I will you, say, two things. I think we were going to see a lot of player movement on the USMNT side this summer. Like a lot. Dest is certainly going to move. We could see multiple Leeds United players move depending on how that goes. I think Christian Pulisic is still favored to move. There could be a, a lot of different players. Musa maybe as well getting out of La Liga. So that's going to be a big storyline this summer. The, the thing I'll say about Pulisic is it just doesn't matter, right? Like, like the, the Chelsea situation in general right now doesn't, doesn't matter at all. Frank Lampard's not going to be around next year. Nothing he does is going to have any tangible impact on what happens next season. Christian Pulisic might come in and be a big part of Mauricio Pochettino's plans and, and play 2,000 minutes across all competitions, which will just be the Cups and uh, the Premier League. He could come in and play 2,000 minutes and be good next year, and we'll look back and completely have forgotten about this stretch because it, it like nothing that can happen between now and the end yeah. of the season. Now that they've avoided relegation officially, which is a hilarious sentence to say yet again, like it, this is just pointless. Like Chelsea are just an autopilot finishing out the year. I read last week a report saying that Pochettino wants to make Christian Pulisic a key part of his team. But forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure there's been a report like that every time Chelsea have made a new managerial appointment over the last two years. It was the same with Thomas Tuchel, who apparently had a relationship with Pulisic from Dortmund. Then then I'm sure it was the same with Graham Potter, who apparently wanted Pulisic to be part of his team. Then Lampard came back, who was the the manager who signed him and maybe got the best out of him as a Chelsea player. It's just time to give up on this. Even if Pochettino pulls Pulisic into his office on the first day and says, I want you to stay, he needs to to walk out and just (laughs) forgo that bully beer. Oh dear, he needs to get his Mustang GT50 and point it away from Stanford Bridge. He does drive one of those, by the way, because he's awesome, just like me. Uh, West Ham Ham 1, Manchester United nil, Taylor. Uh, Speaking of less awesome things for your perspective, the aforementioned Barami with that P-roller past David De Gea. Uh, Are we concerned at all, Taylor, about Manchester United's apparent pulling of the handbrake in certain circumstances and the drop of form at the moment? I mean, I've, yeah, I've been concerned. It, it goes back to the Spurs result. It probably predates that result. They've looked tired. They've looked sort of bereft of ideas. And I think some Manchester United fans, I'm, I'm not saying myself, and I'm not like trying to worm out of this one, but some fans, it seems like, are frustrated that Eric Ten Hag doesn't seem to have the, the motivational abilities or the in-game adjustment abilities to sort of change the, the result as needed. I honestly don't know if I know enough about that or feel confident one way or the other on that one, but it's an interesting narrative because it does feel like one where you don't see the team sort of rise to the occasion. If anything, they seem to uh, get tired and then concede goals and concede opportunities and and give away points. And so it's, it's still a really strange one uh, for Manchester United that I think finishing in the top four and seeing what happens in the FA cup, but specifically finishing in the top four makes it a good season, but they are looking less and less likely to hold on to that spot. Newcastle losing this weekend helps them, but Liverpool looking very dominant. I think sharing top form in the league with Man City right now. 
Uh, Liverpool seem like they are back and at it, and Manchester United seem the opposite of that. And yeah, I think injuries have been a big factor for, for Manchester United with um, Taylor, you were saying it, it maybe goes back to the Spurs game. The, 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 the watershed for me was that Sevilla Europa League yeah. defeat yeah. where Manchester United are absolutely thumped. De Gea makes a big mistake in that game. Maguire makes a big mistake as well. But most crucially, Lissandro Martinez and Rafael Varane come out of that game injured. So all of a sudden you're without your your two first choice centre backs. And it's not just from a defensive point of view that that matters. Lissandro Martinez is so important to the way that United play out from the back, particularly because De Gea's not doing any of that. So t- what Ten Hag has done is he's moved well, he's Luke trying. Shaw into central defence. <laughs> he's trying, yeah. Um, Luke Shaw's been moved into central defence. And I think Luke Shaw's done pretty pretty well in that position, but it means that there's no progression on the left side. And it's much easier now to stop my United playing through the lines because really the only player that's doing that is Christian Eriksen, who was out injured until fairly recently as well. So I, I understand that from this match, the headline is David De Gea's mistake. And against um, Brighton last week, it was Luke Shaw's handball. But actually, I think the real concern for Manchester United is how stale they look through midfield and into the attack yeah. when Marcus Rashford is not the best player in the world. His productivity has obviously dropped off. That's the real story and the real concern with my United right now. Right, Graham, I love that point from you about the injuries and about Rashford. I think there was a, a stretch after the World Cup where Manchester United were playing very, very well. That overlapped almost entirely with Marcus Rashford being just this incredibly elite attacking player. Realistically, and we have enough data at this point to know that he's probably not going to be able to sustain that, right? He's still a good player. I think he does a lot of things very well. He's someone that I would absolutely want in my squad for a whole host of reasons, one of which is he can play on the wing, he can play more centrally. He's someone that can can eat up minutes at a couple of different spots and do them both very well, but maybe not at this Kevin De Bruyne elite game-changing attacking playmaker level for game after game after game. So when Rashford sort of comes back down to earth a bit, and he has, Manchester United don't look like the same maybe world beaters or at least same top two, top three contenders that they looked like at a stretch earlier on in the year. You see with an injury or two, and Graham, you mentioned the center back spot specifically, you see that they're that they're not as deep as some of the better teams in the Premier League. And so right now, my, my macro take on Manchester United is that between De Gea, between the center back depth, although I don't, I don't think you can really all the way prepare for both of your best center backs getting injured, but between goalkeeper, other spots in the spine, like this team needs a couple of really good transfer windows to be able to capitalize on the kind of momentum that they had earlier this year, to be able to create that kind of momentum. Right now, it still seems to me like they are a little bit away from being that real deal kind of team in the Premier League. Man United are not going to enjoy this. Man United fans will not enjoy this, but I watched a super fun TIFO video basically pointing out, Joe, to your point, that they're probably, they need five to six transfers, so that's probably at least two windows. Yeah. Uh, but then the other side of that is that right now you've got David De Gea is 31, or at least over 30, Casemiro the same, Christian Eriksen the same, Bruno Fernandez, Rafael Varane, Luke Shaw, a couple other ones in their late 20s. And so there's also this strange reality of if you wait too long and let the, the need to kind of refurbish the squad and build up the squad uh, continue, then suddenly you have to replace those more veteran players who can't play as many games in a single season. So it's a strange thing of they're like pressed for time, even with some of their their stronger players. So again, I think it, it, it requires more stability in the front office than we've seen and more stability on the ownership yeah. side than certainly we've seen. So it's 
it's just a very strange, not even negative, just a very strange situation, I think, for Manchester United that potential new owner and potential new signings puts them into that top-tier category. But if the ownership thing drags on, or if they don't have the window they need in the summer, then there's other questions to be asked about them heading into the season. Yeah. You could get to the end of a rebuild and then realize the players that you started yep. at the you signed yeah. the start of the rebuild now now need repl- replacing. That's not that a thing with like the Golden Gate Bridge is they're constantly <laughs> painting it. Like they never finish it. So once they get to the end, they just go back to the start and paint it from the beginning again. <laughs> Graham knows the most obscure things about the United States. Graham knows every pizza place in the US. Graham knows random facts about the Golden Gate Bridge. Graham could give you a guided tour through the city of Portland. I love it. I love it. I like- I like that the Golden Gate Bridge like shares a painting approach with how people watch The Office, that you just watch it all the way through, and you start back over and you watch it all again. <laughs> it's the Golden Gate Bridge and The Office are never-ending, uh, and apparently the reconstruction of Manchester United also never-ending. Uh, I did take solace noting, again, this is another observation uh, for my wife watching this game with me. Uh, she asked me if Eric Ten Hag's, thank you, right? Uh, if Eric Ten Hag's brother manages with him, because the assistant, I forget who it is, it's another one of the uh, assistant manager, Gag. yeah, being the doppelganger, the shaved head, the kind of like stubbly beard, very similar appearance. Jurgen Klopp has one of these. Uh, Manuel Pellegrini, I think, famously does manage with his brother. Uh, but there's a few other ones. Ancelotti I don't know what it son, is. I think. What was that? Ancelotti's son, da- David Ancelotti, as well as his assistant. But does he have the eyebrow control? Like Car- That's my I question. I think he's got the eyebrows, but I, I don't go. think he looks like Carlo. I think he's about thirty years younger. But it, it's just such a like. Uh, like I'm assuming it is a like you are my captain and I will follow you to the ends of the earth is the like coach beard assistant manager and with that comes I guess I will also style yeah. myself like you but the Klopp one is so strange because there are times when I'm like oh Klopp's sitting down and standing up how is he doing this? Do you think they cast them? Do you think they cast them? It's like the Blue Man group. <laughs> Maybe yes. so. And you uh, have standby Blue Men who uh, sometimes <laughs> prematurely blew themselves. I think, Taylor, if you're ever confused in that scenario with Klopp, it's the teeth. You wait for the smile, and if it's the Firmino teeth, then you know it's Jürgen. Um, big, yes. big Sam has little Sam, by the way. Sammy Lee, quite literally. They don't look alike, not, but... He doesn't. Leeds. He's in, he's in jury he's duty. Like, he can't get he him out. He usually does. Yeah, he needs to, yeah, he needs to get him out of that case. He needs to, he needs to go and solve the case, uh, as he does with many teams he tries to keep up. Bad analogy. Huge game for West Ham. This was so 37 <laughs> points, seven clear with three games to go. They are not uh, out of the sinking there, but they are certainly a bit more comfortable than they were. Uh, Tottenham got a 1-0 win over Crystal Palace. Harry Kane becoming the second highest goal scorer in Premier League history behind Alan Shearer, who's on 260 goals. Uh, so Kane needs 52 more goals. Uh, so maybe three, two more seasons, two more seasons, three more seasons to uh, get there before... Erling Haaland breaks yeah. it the following season. So uh, so yeah. in my football manager save, Erling Haaland beat Harry Kane to the Premier League goal-scoring <laughs> record. I was monitoring it. <laughs> that was what, the only reason yeah. I was doing it in the simulation. How many yeah. seasons? Uh, four, I believe, <laughs> he did it in. 260 goals. Yeah, he was scoring like, 50, 50, like over 50 <laughs> goals a season, yeah. Well played, well played. All right, and well played, Harry Gang. Congratulations there. Liverpool won, Brentford nil. Mo Salah with the goal there. On the day of the King's coronation, Graham, we had uh, the national anthem played voluntarily at all Premier League stadiums. Uh, Liverpool decided to do so, so they weren't the outlier. Uh, Liverpool fans booed all the way through, as they do. You, You might have a better handle on the reasons for this, Graham, but it's basically they are anti-establishment, very badly treated by the government, particularly in the Thatcher era and Hillsborough. And uh, they incorporate the uh, royal family into that 
Absolutely. So Liverpool as, as, as a community is uh, anti-conservative, as you referenced, because of the way the Thatcher government back in the 70s and 80s treated that city, quite open disdain for Liverpool at that time. And so that city, as you say, is anti-establishment, the royal family being maybe the purest form of establishment in the world and certainly in Britain. I did note Jordan Henderson singing the, nas- the national anthem that is Caught him some heat from his own fans. So much I also abuse. noticed. <laughs> I also noticed Andy Robertson with his head down, uh, not engaging in the spectacle at all. Good boy. Good boy. Indeed. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's go to the Copa del Rey final. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We turn our attention to Spain, where Real Madrid have lifted some more silverware with a 2-1 win over Osasuna in the King's Cup final. Rodrigo with both of Real Madrid's goals in this one. This one, uh, Taylor, is the Ancelotti clean sweep in his second spell at the club because he's now got in this second spell Copa del Rey, the league, Champions League, Spanish Super Cup, Club World Cup. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, Real Madrid were not bad in this one. Uh, This was a very entertaining final. I thought for a moment in the early moments it was going to be 4-0 or so. Uh, Madrid score early, and then they have uh, a couple other chances pretty quickly. And it felt for a moment like Osasuna were going to break, and it was going to be a game that you could sort of turn off 30 minutes in when it was 3-0. And yet Osasuna responded and played their way back into it. Uh, and I, and like at moments felt like the more dominant team. I thought this was an exceptionally fun game. And I thought Lucas Toro was a player that I knew nothing about going into this game and coming out. I, I thought was exceptional, not just because of the the high tuck that he goes for with the shirt. He, I, I, It's been a while since I've seen the tucked in shirt from a player. But I was watching him organize the defense 
uh, make really good defensive plays, like in 1v1 defending, but also reading balls, intercepting. And his passing was was okay in the moments that I was like really paying attention to it. And I thought, I wonder like how involved in the attack he gets, or is he somebody who just stays deeper? And then he scores the equalizer with a thumping half volley from like what thirty yards out or so, uh, which answered some questions about how involved in the attack he can be. Uh, so that was a lovely equalizer. Rodrigo getting the uh, the winning goal in the end also felt fair for his performance on the day. Though Vinicius Junior pretty exceptional once again. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Vinicius, there were times in this match when he was just completely unplayable. And and we saw that with, with the first goal very early on, which was created by Vinicius dribbling to the byline, as he does so well. And in the first 10 minutes, Taylor, as you say, there was a, it felt like there was a chance Real Madrid were just going to blow mm-hmm. Osasuna away. And that left side with Vinicius smoking uh, Mancayola every time the ball, ball went out to him was a, was a big reason why it felt so easy for, for, for Real Madrid. At that time, Real Madrid are a real Arjun Robin of a team in that what they do seems to be quite simple. It's uncomplicated. You know what they want to do in a match, but you can't really stop them when I they do that. it well, when they execute it well. And in terms of how they construct attacks, it's basically, and we sp- we've spoken about this before, but it's basically slow down the game in the middle of the pitch, play the slingshot one-two pass sequence to get the ball in behind for Vinicius, normally on the left side. He drives to the byline, he crosses it, and then either Benzema or Rodrigo, who Rodrigo in particular just has a knack of where to be at the right time. He kind of has the instincts of a, num- of a number nine, and that makes him so dangerous. He's also got a knack of scoring in really big games for Real Madrid, but that is essentially how Real Madrid construct attacks. But trying to stop them is a completely different thing. Having said that, Osasuna, they did grow into this game. They did a better job of, of shutting down that, that, that channel with Vinicius when Moncayola started to get a bit more physical with him. Vinicius getting quite riled up towards the end of the first half is, is, is booked essentially for being kicked over and over again by Osasuna. Um, I know it's a uh, a, a, a bit of an agricultural approach from Osasuna, but I'd argue it, it, it kind of worked, to be honest, in, in stopping this, the, the flow down that side. But yeah, very impressed with Real Madrid. Also very impressed with Osasuna because this was just such a huge match in their history. Um, only the second time they've, they've played in a final. Um, the celebrations when the equaliser went in yeah. were amazing and so lively. And uh, I think a bit of damage might have been caused, actually. There was there was fans spilling over the advertising hoardings and I think a fan needed a, a stretcher. So that's not great. And I hope that fan is, is is okay. But it felt like pretty much the entire city of Pamplona was in Seville for, for, this, for this match. And I don't want to be, just one final thought, I don't want to be condescending because a defeat is a defeat and it will hurt that they didn't win this. But Osasuna making it this far and then playing like they did in this final against this Real Madrid team as a huge, huge success for them on on the whole. 100%, Graham. And that's pretty much where I was going to head with this. You mentioned, you know, there's a chance, you and Taylor, you know, talking about there's a chance that this game gets very lopsided very quickly after Vinicius Jr. does his thing. Like, both runs, I mean, both of them, for both goals, were, like, eerily similar. It was was a perfect example of what Real Madrid tried to do, which you detailed very well, Graham. This one had a chance of getting out of hand pretty early on, but credit to Osasuna. We've given them credit already. But a lot of this game was about this tactical, almost cat-and-mouse game on Osasuna's right, Real Madrid's left, knowing that Vinicius Jr. is where almost all of Real Madrid's dangerous attacks tend to start. I think they realize, like, this guy hedges forward defensively. This guy's going to have the ball high up the field, so we're going to try to attack into that same space. We're going to try to go at Camavinga, who's playing left back in this game, and that's exactly what they did. Osasuna did a really good job of overloading Vinicius Jr. and Camavinga's side, 
with Pena than whipping balls into the box high up on that on that right side as Osasuna's right winger. It happened so many times in the first half. It happened even several times in the second half. They would get forward into that space that Real Madrid left exposed. Eventually, Toro hits that banger from outside the box, got the tight tuck. Taylor, I love it. And that's 1-1. And it felt like we were in for a, a really maybe edgy contest going into the end of the match. And, and we kind of were, right? But still, Osasuna did a lot of good stuff in this game. It wasn't enough. It's really hard to beat Real Madrid. That's not a hot take, but it is really, really hard to do that. Even if you try to go and, and pick out a tactical weak point, even if you try to set yourself up to exploit it, they're still going to exploit something that you have. And so, in general, Real Madrid, the better team in this match. But I was pretty impressed with Osasuna's game plan and how they approached, especially after they went down 1-0. Taylor, did, we, did Man City learn anything potentially from Real Madrid about how to approach the game on Tuesday from what they saw here? I think don't leave yourself wildly exposed at the back, especially late when you get tired. I really do think Real Madrid are an exceptionally good team when the individuals are playing well and when Vinicius Jr. has time to run at defenses. I think if you limit the effectiveness of him on the ball or make it difficult for him to even get on the ball, I think there's going to be a lot of fouling of him in the, in this uh, Champions League semifinal. I, I feel like City should be comfortable winners. I feel like they might win this, win both games comfortably. I think it's that it's Real Madrid, and it feels very awkward to say that they don't seem like they're the dominant team in the Champions League, given their history, given how good Carlo Ancelotti has gotten them to play at times in the competition this season. But it's still hard for me to see Man City messing this one up because they seem so solid across the board. Real Madrid seem like they are very good but have those vulnerabilities. Certainly their La Liga form has shown that. I I think City will still feel pretty confident in this game. All right, well, congratulations to Real Madrid on this one. Uh, Shall we turn our attention now to the Bundesliga? Werder Bremen won by Munich 2. They went four points ahead of Dortmund, did by Munich with this provisionally, of course. Nabry and Sane with the second half goals. But then Dortmund came along with a 6-0 win over Falfell Wolfsburg. Uh, They're one point behind now, of course. Still 13 behind on goal difference despite that big win for Dortmund. Jude Bellingham with a brace in this one, 13 goals on the season. One of his shots was so tremendous that the keeper couldn't quite hold on to it very good indeed uh over in Serie A we had Milan with a 2-0 win over Lazio nice warm-up for their Champions League game although um an injury scare with Rafael Leal coming off early in yeah. this one uh Graham did you uh, the the, the Tio Nandes run of the entire pitch oh, for the yeah. goal it's not the first time he's done that I feel like I've seen him do it before right Oh, no, that's his thing. Yeah. I'm not sure he has a long-range uh, strike into the back of the net from outside the box on the end of every single one of those runs. But absolutely, <laughs> surging down the left wing and into the final third for AC Milan, that's that's kind of what he does. Even going back to his days at Real Madrid, that's what, that's what he did. This was a very important result for AC Milan in their efforts to finish in the top four. I thought they were just much sharper and quicker and a little bit fiercer than Lazio, particularly in the first half. And the first goal comes from AC Milan pouncing on Lazio, trying to play out from the back. And obviously, being a Sarri team, they're they're going to do that and they usually do it very well. But their possession play in general was a bit loose throughout the game and, and Milan made the most of that. And it wasn't until very late on that Lazio created anything of any note and, and the match was kind of over by then it is very difficult to read this AC Milan team because their league form has generally been quite quite poor but they still went to to, to Naples and smashed Napoli 4-0 they're still in the semi-finals of a champ of the Champions League and they win this game pretty comfortably as well so they can certainly still raise their level for the big occasion 
Are they they're going the opposite direction of Man United in terms of form at the moment? It feels like a bit Graham, perhaps. Maybe that's a simple. Perhaps way. I think Manchester United's record against the top nine in the Premier League this season is atrocious. And absolutely, AC Milan are the complete other way around yeah. when they have when the big teams come to visit them or they go and play them in their stadium. They they tend to produce their best form, and it's against the the bottom half teams that they struggle most uh, most acutely. acutely. Indeed. Or well, Inter also going in on good form to their Champions League encounter this weekend with a 2-0 win uh, at Roma this weekend. Their fifth consecutive win in all competitions. Uh, they are just two points apart from AC Milan in the league at the moment. And Napoli got a 1-0 win over Fiorentina. Back on home turf, Graham. Uh, Victor Osman with a penalty after missing a penalty. If you say so, I'm not sure anyone in Naples can actually tell you what happened in the match. And I certainly didn't watch the match, but I tuned in for the celebrations um, because that's what this this match was all about. Um, I can only assume people in Naples are just powering through and not sobering up because that city has been celebrating for pretty much a full <laughs> week now. Uh, thankfully, they, they didn't reignite Vesuvius, but they did ignite pretty much the entire city and certainly every firework in the city on Thursday night when they got the job done and that party carried over into the weekend. As well, after this match, they put on this... I don't know if anyone else saw this, but they put on this this light show at the, the 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 Maradona, and they had fireworks and music, and the players all had shirts with their own faces on them. Completely normal. I, I'll be in Naples next week, and if I'm not handed a shirt with my own face on it, I'll be uh, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. I really hope that happens for you, Graham. Um, <laughs> so uh, do, do, I. do you think? Because Napoli have been celebrating for so long, so many months, they're going to still celebrate like six months into next season. I could still see them having fireworks in like November possibly I mean genuinely I've never I've never seen a city celebrate a a team's title like this I mean the the closest thing I can think of and this maybe this is recency bias but Argentina celebrating winning the World Cup just Mm. there in, in the winter is the closest thing I have seen but some of the footage particularly of and and you guys have probably seen this but there was I presume someone sent a drone or maybe it was from a helicopter above Naples and it was over the Bay of Naples at at full time of that game against Udinese and the fireworks across this like hundreds and thousands of fireworks being set off all at the same time across the city I I kind of doubted that that video was real but it, it is real and I've never seen anything like it before. Graham, if Newcastle won the Premier League, would it be something similar, not from the like financial resources side, but just from a like a city that feels like it, it's been historically looked down upon by the larger glitzier capital winning winning something that people didn't think possible? Like, would that be a, yeah. an equivalent? You think a Premier League equivalent? Yeah, I'm not sure if it matches yeah. up to kind of the the passion of Naples I mean there isn't a volcano in Newcastle for them to uh yeah for them to ignite in celebration uh I don't know maybe they can knock down Hadrian's wall or something like that I, I don't know but <laughs> yes that would be the the Premier League equivalent indeed congratulations to Napoli and future congratulations to Newcastle when they knock that wall down that sounds fun uh Major League <laughs> Soccer <laughs> this weekend uh, uh, t- uh joe excuse me um i noticed that yeah, the San Jose you don't want to Earth- come to me on this one <laughs> <laughs> the San Jose earthquakes played at the levi stadium against lafc they had lots of bla hashtags going around i was thinking that's optimistic but they gone done did it they did and, and it was sort of a reversal for both of the teams in mls that had that ccl semi-final earlier in the week lafc and philly lafc beating the union to advance to the final against leon Philly go out and beat the Red Bulls 1-0 and force the Red Bulls, I guess, to fire Gerhard Struber. LAFC come into San Jose, 
after beating Philly, and they drop points. They lo- they lose their first MLS game of the season. They are no longer undefeated. They were the last undefeated team in the league before this. The Quakes played really, really well. Like I am, I'm incredibly high on what Luchi Gonzalez is doing and what the Quakes in general are doing right now. They're bought in on the analytics side. Luchi Gonzalez clearly has a game model. They have very talented players. Now, they don't have depth, and, and that's really, I think, the biggest thing that's holding them back from being a legitimate contender in MLS right now. But they, I think, depending on how injuries you know treat them over the rest of the season, I think they could very much be a top four, top five team in the Western Conference. And they kind of showed that by beating the the best team in Major League Soccer over the weekend. Very much so. Um, Joe, it seems like a few, as you mentioned, uh, with Struber being fired, are we expecting more firings to be coming in the coming days? What's going on? Well, either as a recording or just before, Paul Tenorio and Tom Bogert of the Athletic of the Athletic reported that Ezra Hendrickson of the Chicago Fire, their manager, has been fired. Both the Fire and the Red Bulls, apparently cutting ties with their managers on the same day. Both of those teams are at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Really, I think the Struber one makes sense for a lot of reasons. It seems like the relationships at the club weren't especially strong at this point. They've not had a lot of success under him. I think they're significantly better than the record indicates right now. But between the Dante Benzier racial slur incident and how Struber appears to have handled that, and, and folks out there know a lot more about that situation than I do, but between the the difficulties there and, and the actual lack of on-field success in terms of results this season, that hurts him a lot. Hendrickson and the Fire is a, a much stranger situation. The Fire are not a good team. They're a fine team. I think they're also probably a bit better than their record indicates right now. But the issue for the Fire is that they just don't have enough talent, right? It's it's For me, it's the sporting director, and this is not a unique take. There's a lot of folks out there that are saying this very thing. But it's George Heights, who was brought in in 2019, has since signed five designated players, Exactly zero of those designated players have actually been game changers in Major League Soccer. Aliceda has been a bust, was a bust, was moved uh, off to Switzerland. Shakiri has not done well, even though I do think that was a risk worth taking. Robert Barich flamed out very, very quickly. Jairo Torres has not looked like the, the game-changing signing that he was billed as coming in from the Gamekis. And Gaston Jimenez is, is not a, a player that the Fire can afford to play because he doesn't defend and they don't have enough talent to really make his spot as a designated player work. So, I mean, they've they've whiffed over and over and over again, and yet are still expecting a coach to be able to to get some, what's the expression, blood out of a stone? Is that what it is? Water out of a stone? Either way, they're expecting something that's not going to happen. Apparently, nobody else knows this expression either, which makes me feel, I guess, a little bit no, better. It's, um, it's drawing blood from a catbird is the expression. Ah, that's, I mean, that feels a lot easier, though, to be honest. I, yeah. I mean... I don't know. That doesn't seem. By the way, I realized I I said Tom and Jerry earlier when I talked about catbird. I must have meant Sylvester and Twitty Pie because they are a cat and a bird. Just to clear things up. Tom, Tom. Oh right, Tom and Jerry's a mouse. Yeah, yeah. Jerry's one hundred percent a mouse. That's a Mm. big miss from all of us. Sorry about that. We didn't correct you. But either way, it's it's a weird situation in Chicago. (laughs) I I tweeted like, if the fire want to be relevant, they need to sign better players. Like they don't have enough talent to actually be a legitimate force in major league soccer. And it's, it's frankly a farce that they're going out and signing managers and firing managers while Heights continues to pull the strings behind the scenes. It doesn't make sense. Joe Mansueto, the owner of the club clearly doesn't see that Heights is a problem. And that for me is a, a major miss. Chicago could be a real player in this league, but for as long as Heights is there whiffing on signings, they're not going to be. Uh, anything else, Joe, to report from major league soccer? Uh, Sporting Kansas City got their first win of the season and looked pretty darn good, beating Seattle in Seattle, which is very difficult to do. They had all three DPs back on the field for the first time this season. Gotti Kinta only played 45 minutes, but they look like a legitimate team. I I don't know how 
easy the road back to contention is going to be, but MLS certainly certainly opened up every possible door for them that they could before the season started. You don't have to be a good team to make the playoffs in this league. You just have to be better than like four other teams in your conference. And I think there's a real good chance that Sporting Kansas City will end up there. This was the first step for them on a on a road back. Uh, any other games? I don't know in the southeast region to note. Yeah, Atlanta United lost oh, to okay. Inter Miami. Joseph Martinez scored two goals. Um, that was a, a cool moment. I can't think of like what you would be thinking of, Ryan. I'm not. I'm not sure. What What is it? Guess we'll leave it then. Yeah. Guess fine. So. Okay. Fine. I'll do it. Charlotte were actually really good, and they were fun. I like watching Charlotte FC. They beat NYCFC at home in North Carolina. A good performance. They were aggressive down the right side. I think Christian Latanzio has found like a better mix of getting his best players on the field while also having some structure that doesn't leave them as open in transition. They've gone to sort of a, a hybrid between the 4-2-3-1 and that like back three with the midfield two with one fullback staying deep and one pushing inside. And I think they found some more stability in that way. Uh, NYCFC also just not quite at their best right now. They were rough against Toronto last week. They were better in this game against Charlotte. I thought they would win this game. But again, credit to Charlotte. Like, they played a good match. And you could see, Ryan, I don't know how much of this you watched or if you watched the recap. Like, you could see how much this result meant to the players. Like, this was a, a real moment for them that I think gave them some validation after what's been a, a rough, at least for stretches, part of the season, opening of the season so far. So I was, I was happy for you, Ryan. I was happy for Charlotte. I thought they played a good game. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what this team turns into over the rest of the season. Thank you very much, Joe. And with games kicking off at 1.30 a.m. local, I watch the recap in the morning, just to let yep. you know. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, any other business section? Uh, what about Leon 5, Montpellier 4? Alexandre Lacazette with a 100-minute penalty to settle that one. 4-4 in a 100-minute, and Lacazette puts a penalty away. That's pretty good. Lacazette with 24 goals this season. He's joint golden boot with Mbappe at the moment. Graham, to have Lacazette competing with the PSG folk in this award is impressive. Yeah, he's had a great season. I wrote a piece about him for Optus a few weeks ago. I believe this game was 4-1. Uh, Leon were 4-1 down mm. at, at, at one point. So quite the comeback. Uh, I didn't watch this game live. I did, I did see the highlights, but I was tracking it on, on Twitter at the time and it seemed to be quite the quite the wild match. Indeed. Track it down, listener, if you can. Uh, PSG with a 3-1 win at Troyes this weekend. They are three wins away from the title, with or without Mr. Messi. And last but not least, Graham, uh, you were reporting from Scotland that Celtic have won the Scottish Premiership with a 2-0 win over 10-man hearts. Indeed. Scotch corner time. Celtic are champions. They've been the best team in Scotland all season long. Rangers haven't been able to get anywhere near them. And I imagine Police Scotland were grateful Celtic got the job done in this match against uh, Hearts. Away to Hearts, they won 2-0 on Sunday. Because had they not won this match, they could have won it away to Rangers next weekend. That was a genuine possibility. That could have been absolute mayhem. So uh, the police force in Scotland, quite grateful that that isn't going to come to pass. I have to give a very quick mention to certainly the most compelling story in Scottish football over the weekend, which was the final day of the championship season on Friday night. It was a winner takes all match between the top two, Queen's Park and Dundee. So Queen's Park were an amateur team three years ago. They're the oldest club in Scotland and they have used the money they made from selling Hamden Park. That's another story entirely. They used to own Hamden Park. But they've gone professional. They've risen up the leagues uh, two um, promotions in a row. They were going for a third in a row here. And so that's the context. 
in this match it was 2-2 after 20 minutes then it's 3-3 at half at, at half time in the end Dundee win 5-3 so eight goals between the two teams and this league was so tight that by losing that game Queen's Park they started the the the, the game in first place they ended up finishing third there were just wow. three points between second and sixth uh, just a complete crazy match to end a crazy season in the Scottish second tier wild stuff thank you very can we can we watch the Scottish second tier on ESPN I don't think we get that in the US broadcast unfortunately but uh you tell me seems like you have every game so uh, more games than we have here let's look into it let's put someone on the case in the meantime that is the weekend review Joe Lowry thank you so much for your reviewing skills I vote that Taylor is put on that particular case please and thank you Taylor Rocco thank you very much for your contributions and for volunteering for the case uh my pleasure as always <laughs> and Graham Ruthven thank you very much to you good sir Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Listener, thank you the mostest. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye.